What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chat. This is episode number 121. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? You sure it's that episode 120? I could have sworn that I saw a thing in the in the, in the the doc that said 120. What, what episode are we on? No, it's definitely 121. Uh, let, me, let me start counting from the start. Um, <laughs> I have these all up in front of me anyway on all these sheets. One, two, three. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> this week we are... Back to Flavortown. But before we do all that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not running the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to go to chat with us, chat with the rest of the Traficionado community, and discuss things like trophies, discuss your picks, and all sorts of things like that. The link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. And shout out to Chris for joining last week. Thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Keeps us doing this every week. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our Draft Chaff hero cards signed and sent to you. So we'll get that out to you, Chris. Yeah, the Discord really has been popping off. A lot of people have been putting really interesting picks in there and, and a lot of cool uh, a lot of cool DMU stuff. Uh, I, myself, have been flooding the channels with Midnight Hunt stuff that no one really cares about. But, <laughs> but I love Midnight Hunt so much and uh, I've been kind of on a trophy haul in there. So anyway, uh, join the Discord. Talk magic with us. All right, on to our Cracker Draft type thing. Ben, it looks like this is not Midnight Hunt. So <laughs> walk us through this Cracker Draft. You know, I, I actually couldn't bring myself to do Midnight Hunt twice in a row because <laughs> we did one last week. I figured we'll do a spooky one next week. Uh, in fact, I might actually get like a physical pack. Uh, I've, I've always dreamt of getting another one of those um, alt art Renin 7s, the, the, the amazing Halloween themed one, because uh, that, that would honestly make some great Halloween themed decor. No, here we have Dominaria. Uh, and we're going to start things off with an idyllic beachfront, the blue white land. Solid stuff. Um, you definitely want it in domain. And it's probably going to be one of the, like, it's going to be in the top 50% of picks in this pack, but not for first pick. Yeah, I mean, these lands you typically want early, but I'm not going to take them first pick. Next up, we got Volsha Tide Turner. This card just, I've never really seen it do anything. You know, it's just a little bit awkward. Very, very, uh, this is what we call a short vector length card. You can clearly tell what direction it's trying to point in. Uh, it just doesn't point very far. Same with Vanquisher's Axe, which is up next. Just, just not very good. Now, here's a banger, Shadow Prophecy. Uh, yeah. You rarely get multiple of these. I mean, Shadow Prophecy is is great. Every domain deck once. I, I usually play exactly one, and then I usually wind up with other random card advantage stuff, but that's usually because I only have the opportunity to take one. I, I'd probably play a handful if I could. Yeah, definitely the pick so far, and a card that I think we were both a little low on at the beginning of the format, but it it's uh, earned its place. Dig main through time, maybe? Get out. All right. Next up, Pixie Illusionist. The uh, the little domain sort of matadoric, uh, the 1-1 uh, flyer. I, I've seen this card played less and as the format has evolved. I think it's still fine. I mean, it's, it's sometimes just a 3-3 flyer, but I don't know. I think there's better options. And as people have gotten smarter about how they take lands, I think this has been less necessary as the format has evolved. Yeah, I used to use it as a way to like off splash in my blue decks. Um, but you're right, there are just a lot of ways. Like if you just prioritize lands a little bit better in your in your draft, you're you're gonna rather have the land than this in most situations. Next up is Meteorite. I have not actually gotten to play Meteorite in this format, and I think that's a good thing. For a while I kind of forgot that it was a common. I thought it was an uncommon. So uh yeah, but I I you rarely see these, and when they do come down, they barely do anything. I mean, if you're stabilizing against like an aggro deck, then a five mana 
like kill one of your opponent's things probably isn't going to be good enough anyway. So th- this just isn't that impactful of a card. Impactful in italics, I guess. Next up is Mesa Cavalier. Solid little flyer. Good in the uh, blue-white or more aggressive white decks. But, you know, it is just a... Uh, <laughs> it's no inspiring overseer, we'll say that. I'm probably still taking Shadow Prophecy above it. Yep. We got Jaya's Fire Nado. A quick little rant about five mana deal fives because there's one in every set. Uh, I think people write these off a little too early and you you should really consider the texture of your deck before you write something like this off. Uh, I think if you are short on removal in like an aggressive deck of any kind, it's totally fine to play one to two copies of a a five mana deal five. Because think about it, what's getting in the way of your smaller creatures? They're four four, right? So you untap, especially when you're on the play and this thing just kills their four drop or I guess their five drop depending. And then you just usually swing for lethal. I mean, this will end the games when it works. Uh, and this one even has Scry 1 stapled to it. So if the game keeps going, you get a little bit of a bonus. Maybe find that pump spell. I totally agree. I am one of those people who writes these off too early. And every time I do, I'm like, this is better than I gave it credit for. Fire Nato is one of the situations, like Dominary United is a situation where I definitely wrote it off too early. And it is better than I gave it credit for, especially with all the walls and the ability for aggro decks to actually weirdly stabilize in the mid to late game and kind of just like gum up the ground waiting for an opportunity to attack for lethal mm-hmm. fire nato is exactly what the top ends of those decks are looking for to clear the board and get you in for those last points of damage and uh yeah i think it's very text very contextual for the set though there are a lot of mm-hmm. sets where these are just pretty bad uh but there isn't a ton of great removal at common for cheaper mana values in this set yeah and to be honest the effect that i'm talking about a good pump spell will do the same exact thing uh, or yep. like a destroy evil will do the exact same thing as this card, but you don't always see them. And if your deck is desperate for it and you're like already locked into the vector and you really need a way, you probably should have at least one of these so that you don't just get, I don't know, blocked entirely by a gibbering barricade. And then you draw your whole deck while they drain you out. Yep. Next up is Elfheim Worm. I really liked this card in the first few weeks of the format. I have since gone down on it quite a bit, which is sad because it's such a pretty card. Just five out of five for Vigilance Trample. Just uh, what, a, what a nice text box but um yeah definitely lower on this card i like it about the same amount as shadow prophecy in my own personal love of the cards ranking system but you're supposed to take shadow prophecy over it definitely and our last comment is artillery blast solid white removal especially for the uh well in in particular the domain deck is what wants this it's funny that you can be in domain and not really be in white at all you could be in like sultai domain and then just see artillery blast and be like yep we'll take that (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a great little card that I don't expect to see in white in most sets. Like, yeah, it doesn't get things like this. They get they get cards like they get the removal that kind of functions this way, but they don't get something that has the utility that this does in terms of just being able to slot it into any deck, really. Yeah. The fact that it's domain based, it's kind of strange. Um, I I don't think you want to take this first pick. I'm taking Shadow Prophecy over it, but this is one of the better cards in the pack for sure. Yeah. Plus the art is great. Oh, yeah. It's pretty sick. I was going to mention Jaya's Fire Nato has some pretty cool art, too. Now, uh, speaking of cards that you don't want to take, how about Yosha Declares War? Quick, uh, name one of the one of the chapters on the saga without looking. Chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe one of them involves tapping an artifact to deal damage. Um, maybe. I don't know. You could have told me this was a Kamigawa card and I would have believed you. I don't I, know. It does have what appears to be a dragon on the front and... Uh, I think it's got some Doctor things and it has artifact stuff. The, the the templating and design almost does feel like it'd go better in Kamigawa. But anyway, uh, this card is just not really for this format. A little strange. I mean, maybe at some point 
I guess I'll put it on my DMU bucket list to have the red green rare. I think it's Maria, the the red green three three legend that cares about uh, tapping artifacts you control, like non-token artifacts. And then I guess a few copies of Yosha Declares were, I mean, you'll get all of the ones opened at the table because no one else wants them. And you'll get all the Vanquisher's Axes you can want. But then what are you doing? Drawing into more Vanquisher's Axes and Yosha Declares were? I, I don't really know. Uh, I would probably just go with something like Rada, our next pick, who is solid, just a, a big beefer. I think I'm still taking Shadow Prophecy over Rada, but... A good domain card early on is not a bad thing because domain's one of those types of mechanics where you can spend the rest of your draft making sure you get it. Mm, yeah, uh, I do like Rada, but she doesn't really provide card advantage. She's not a two for one in any way. So I'm, I'm going Shadow Prophecy over it. Next up, our last uncommon, weird little pump spell, Join Forces. This is the two and white one that untaps two creatures and gives them both plus two plus two. I haven't really played this. It's just kind of a worse rate than most of the pump spells. Um, I could, I don't even know. This would be better in formats if you cared about like targeting or untapping your creatures a lot, which I guess you kind of do with enlist, but it's not like you could enlist and then attack and or like enlist, cast this and attack. It's not like you're, I don't know. It's not like you're buying yourself an extra attacker. You can get an extra blocker, but then an extra two blockers. I don't even know, but then it's a pump spell that you're only using for blocking and it's not even that good of a rate. I don't know. This one just, again, a very particular vector, just not very strong in that direction. I kind of think of this card and cards like this as really good sideboard tech in the aggro mirror, where like you're just racing and your opponent attacks you and you untap the creatures you just attacked with, eat their creatures, now they're behind on the race and you get to swing in again without worrying about the crackback. And that's like the only situation I think these cards are ever playable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe with some like life linkers or something or that, I don't even know. It's just there's better options. Uh, so out of all that stuff, probably on Shadow Prophecy, right? Yes. Okay, uh, we're just gonna throw all that away because there's an Archangel of Wrath. All right, to fairy table time. <laughs> 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 no, but actually, I, I love Archangel of Wrath. I've been playing it in Standard. Saffron Olive came up with a uh, like a Mardu Angels deck that lets you kick Archangel of Wrath. It is so sweet. It has Lisa from um, Midnight Hunt. Where you can just like if if Archangel dies, you can get it back and then re-kick it. It has some stuff with uh, Sarah Paragon too, letting you play um, all sorts of nonsense like other angels. You can play Inspiring Overseer from your graveyard. I mean, or uh, uh, Kiki Saga or Wedding Announcement like from your graveyard. There, there's a lot of really sweet stuff in it. Uh, that being said, it's obviously just the best card in the pack by miles, and you should always take it. You should never pass it. Anyway. Yeah, on to our fair table. This is our <laughs> roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Why don't uh, you kick it off? I'm, I'm very interested in the way you wrote your Teferi Tibble in the show notes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with my my Tibble. Um, I had to go into the uh, the dermatologist this week for for a little just a little light surgery. It's no big deal, never fun, but uh, both my my parents that their families have a whole big skin cancer history. So uh, every once in a while, I got to go in and, and have them take a look and occasionally do some things. And uh, that wasn't very fun. It never is, uh, uh, especially because the thing they were looking at was in my beard. And now I have a little hole in my beard. <laughs> so <laughs> not cool. Anyway, uh, I, I got to take that day off, which was good because I really needed it. School has just been overloading me. My students are great, but they're um, they're dedicated sometimes at the wrong time and they'll be like, oh, I got to come in right now and, and get this work done. And I'll be like, please let me eat my lunch. <laughs> I, I get 20 minutes for this. Um, my Teferi's this week. The day off was good. I got to relax a little bit. 
we got to enjoy a, a day in spooky season, uh, jam some midnight hunt, which I love on arena. And uh, we, we got to draft Unfinity, uh, which was really, really fun. Unfinity was such a blast. Um, I got to eat pie. Uh, I got to like As cast. part of a magic game. Let's throw that like. Yeah, so yeah. I got to resolve pie eating contest and win the game. It was sick. Um, it was honestly a good time, although we should probably tell the story about what happened. Uh, we'll, we'll tell it after. I have a whole section for it. All right. So then my Teferi is that I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's kind of it. Like I'm just feeling generally just pretty good. Like I've been in the gym for the last few months and starting to kind of actually feel like I've been in the gym. You know, there's usually a bit of a delay before you actually see actual results on your, your physique and the way that it impacts, uh, like your body, how it feels and everything. So that's, that's been good. Um, but I'm also kind of feeling bad, which is my Tybalt. And that is uh, very typical for me of the last few years. October is my favorite month of the year. But for some reason, as soon as like, no joke, October 1st, my anxiety spikes. Like I just start having anxiety problems all month and it'll last all month. And then November 1st will hit and it'll be gone. And I don't really know what the deal is, but it's been going on like this for the last three or four years. And Hmm. yeah, so October is typically just a bad month for me. Maybe some rough trick or treaters in your neighborhood. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not yet, anyway. But uh, I don't. I don't know what it is. But yeah, I'm always just feeling like a little bit worse than I could be in October, at least the last couple of years. So I don't know. Hopefully, that's not a trend that keeps up for much longer. But hmm. it's going better this year than it did last year. So we'll say that. Uh, here's a potential way you could test this hypothesis. You could intentionally have an awful October this year, and then next year. If it gets any worse, then you'll know for sure because it'll be an even more extreme outlier. Yeah, I think I'm gonna not do that. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. okay. I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the advice there. <laughs> so, um, a listener question for the week is a question for the listeners, folks. Feel free to submit listener questions in the Discord. We love answering stuff, uh, whether it's about the current set or anything else. But this week, I have a question for all of you. So uh, you may have heard it's Magic's 30th anniversary. Uh, if you want, you can go out and spend $1,000 on like four-ish cards, I think, and they're probably worth nothing. So that's that's a great way to celebrate if you have a free uh, $999. But um, and th- there were some other promotional deals going on out there, especially some on Amazon. And this got some folks on Magic Twitter riled up because... You know, it's Amazon and they're claiming that this is the 30th anniversary and they're saying that this is something to celebrate with your local game store. And as we know, your local game stores, when kind of these large distributors take away their business, they tend to go under. And I I know Zach and I, we can both name a handful of local game stores we've gone to in the past that are no longer there. And it can be hard for those uh, those types of shops to stay open. That being said, um, I, I have a bit of a, not to rip too far off LR, but I guess we could call it a genius or a grifter. Uh, uh, we'll have to come up with some some draft chaffy name for it. But the idea and is... Before I wanna... Luis sues us for trademark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm more curious just uh, to the listener what your thoughts on this is. Uh, this week they were selling set booster boxes of Midnight Hunt for about $70. Set boosters usually go for 115 And Midnight Hunt is one of my favorite sets of all time. Uh, I love the aesthetics. I love the imbalanced format. And I love proving that it's not actually that imbalanced when I trophy with red, white spells decks. So I don't know. I, I, this this set is just really special to me. And I love it very much. And I've kind of wanted to make a cube out of it or something. And when I saw that set boosters were only like discounted that much, I was thinking, well, wait a minute. I should just go in on this. So I'll admit that I did. And uh, it's kind of going to become my own little personal Midnight Hunt cube. And maybe I crack something like a Meat Hook Massacre in there too. Uh, so the question is, 
am I morally bankrupt now? <laughs> because on one hand, yes, I could have probably bought this from a local game store. And on the other hand, uh, well, I guess on the same hand, uh, I, I really despise uh, Jeff Bezos as, you know, like an entity. And I, Amazon, um, what, what it represents and everything along with that kind of sphere about the uh, sanitization and conglomeration of things that we know and love into things that are sterile and plain and useless. Uh, I don't know. The, the Amazon rubs me the wrong way. But it was also like a $50 discount, dude. I'm a teacher. <laughs> like, well, what do you think? All right. So great question for the listener. If you don't want my input before you come up with your own answer to this, pause here because I'm going to give some input. Um, but basically, okay, so I've got a lot of thoughts about this. I am not as big of an, uh, how do I want to say this? I, I don't have such antagonistic views toward Amazon as you do, which Fair. is kind of cool because we're, we're on different, not entirely different sides of the spectrum. I agree with you on a lot of what you, what you, what you feel about that. But um, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Amazon is not the only distributor that sells on Amazon. There are actually a lot of like individual people who sell on Amazon and other companies, including local game stores that can sell their their product through Amazon. You as a consumer don't necessarily know who you're buying from until unless you actually try to dig into that. It's not terribly difficult to find that information, but it does require extra work and 99.999% of people never do. Um, even the like buy now or add to cart button that, that where you see the price changes very quickly. It's like an uh, almost like a bidding war type thing for what they call the buy box share to show which company's product or sale mm-hmm. or whatever is actually showing up in that box on the screen. Um, Anyway, so there's that. You might have bought it from a, a local game store and not known it. Uh, the other thing I would add to that is if you really, really care about like putting, I guess for lack of better phrasing, putting your money where your mouth is in terms of like giving back to certain causes and such, you can use smile.amazon.com where you can tie a specific charity of your choice to mm, your Amazon yeah. purchases and any of your uh, any of the purchases you make at no additional cost to you, Amazon will donate money to that cause that you've selected. Um, so that's kind of a way to offset that. If you do feel grimy about buying through, uh, through Amazon. Um, also you're taking a gamble because like a lot of magic product on Amazon is, uh, doesn't come, come properly sealed and everything. So that's Mm, something to, you know, also kind of chalk up to that. Um, yeah, I don't think you're morally bankrupt for using Amazon. I use Amazon all the time. So I'm a little biased in my response there, but, uh, I do think there are ways to offset some of the, the problematic things that I guess a company like Amazon represents. Mm-hmm. I guess on the other hand, I also do just spend a lot of time and money at my local game stores. Um, I mean, the Bearded Dragon in in, uh, in New Jersey is a fantastic local game store. We're lucky to live so close to it. And, um, you know, I, I certainly buy a lot of my magic stuff there, too. This is kind of like a rarity for me. Uh, I don't know. Very curious to see what the listener has to say about this. Uh, maybe just toss it in like the random section. All right. On to our main topic. And again, we're back to Flavortown. We love to do this. This is a recurring episode every single set where we kind of walk back through that. Ben, I'll let you give our usual intro. But yeah, we're back. That's right. Flavortown is, as always, your destination for all things fun in form and function. And Downer United has some pretty interesting cards. Uh, and we have some thoughts on the overall ideas uh, presenting these cards this time around. We also want to talk about some of our favorite cards, our favorite art, flavor, design mechanics uh, in the context of limited because we've updated our thoughts on them now that we've gotten to try them out a bit. But first of all, one of my favorite topics uh, in in our Flavor Town episode and one that we usually get some pretty fun feedback about, let's talk magic story. So this one, this is what's been building for a while, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of the Praetors scattered across the multiverse. 
but now we're certainly we're finally getting to some of the bigger ones. So it opens with Karn. He's hanging out in the caves of Koilos, and I assume he might have tapped for a little damage here and there. Uh, but apparently he's been digging around for information about the Silex. I think it's the Golgothian Silex, or maybe that's a different Silex. Anyway, it's a magic soup bowl thing, uh, and it can one-shot Phyrexians. Yeah, so he he found this thing, and the thing is, he knows when it was last used, but has no idea how to activate it himself. So he's kind of digging around the caves of Koilos on Dominaria, like this treasure trove of random Thran artifacts. So he's just like digging around, trying to figure out what's up and how to use this Silex thing. And while he's digging around in the caves of Koilos, he comes across this like workshop, which has some similar uh, in car- like carvings to those found on the Silex. So he's like, hey, maybe this will help me figure out how to activate this thing. In the meantime, while he's like looking into this stuff, one of his like digger- digging robots like unearths a cave that essentially is just covered in Phyrexian oil and uh, cables and all sorts of stuff. And Karn's like, aha, they are here. Mm-hmm. Because up to this point, Karn's been trying to convince all of Dominaria that the Phyrexians are in fact on Dominaria and nobody believes him. Poor Karn. So uh, just like the dwarves of old, he does dig too deep. He busts into the lair and uh, there's some scuffles, but he eventually stumbles upon Shieldred herself, who seems to be a little messed up, probably in recovery from the planar bridge. Uh, Karn summons a bomb, which is just really funny. Like, you know, there's these other planeswalkers. The fairy can bend time. Jace can mess with your mind. Jaya can shoot fire. Uh, Karn, like, assembles a bomb from midair. <laughs> and he, like, handcrafts all the intricate parts of it. And he's like, this will probably be good enough. Uh, and he nearly just nukes Shieldred as she's in recovery. But uh, Rona kind of brings the entire cave down on top of them. Karn is pretty much pro Phyrexians like he is he's indestructible to Phyrexians because uh, he's had some dealings with them in the past he's pretty pretty used to dealing with them but at this point he's been trapped in like an entirely uh, natural disaster it's a whole cave-in and months pass before a Johnny comes and digs him out yeah and a Johnny's sent by Joyra who's been like communicating him with with him through these like message things that have kind of like a tracker on them and essentially he's Joyra just notices that Karn hasn't moved in months <laughs> and she's like, Hey, Johnny, go, f- go check on him. Cause uh, he's probably gotten into some trouble. Um, so that, that happens. A Johnny breaks him out and then they all planes walk to these peace talks that are going on between, uh, the Benalish and the Keldons. And so there are two different regions, Keld and, and Benalia, two different regions on Dominaria. They're going through these peace talks, and we've got like all the big, big players are here. Jaya's there, Joda's there, Aaron Capuchin's there, Rada's there, Karn and Ajani show up, and Karn's like, hey, Phyrexians are here. I just found proof. And they're like, yeah, but we don't believe you. <laughs> and uh, then out of nowhere, Teferi just kind of planes walks in, and he's like, hey, guys, I heard from a friend that, pla- that Phyrexians <laughs> are back. And everybody's like, oh, crap, the Phyrexians are back. <laughs> it's so funny. He's like, I think there were Phyrexians on Kaldheim. And I think there was some on Kamigawa, maybe. He wasn't even there. And then everyone's well, like, uh-oh. Yeah, it's totally <laughs> like like whisper down the lane or a telephone sort of thing where he's like, I heard from a guy who heard from a guy yeah. who heard from a gal that there were like Phyrexians on these two planes. And everybody loses their minds. They freak out. And Karn is just like really kind of butthurt that <laughs> nobody listened to him. And then this random guy comes, shows up and they all just believe him. Mm-hmm. And as one would do when butthurt, he starts bird watching. There's this little bird that keeps like hopping on the windowsill. It's made a point of it in the story. Um, and, and some other things happen. They come, they like catch up with the friends, but through all this, Karn is noticing that the, uh, the bird watching is taking a turn. The bird is now watching them. And he's like, uh, ah, what's going on with this? Uh, all of a sudden, 
he grabs it. It kind of becomes a Phyrexian. It turns out this whole thing, if you look at the Phyrexian espionage art, it was that bird. It's it's a pretty messed up bird. And he tosses it in front of the room. He's like, hey, check this out. And then all of a sudden, the room descends into chaos. People start splitting open. Turns out there are Phyrexian sleepers among both sides, among the, uh, the, the Benalish and the Kelvins. Yeah, so this random dude, Sten, who is in kind of the middle of these negotiations or peace talks, who had at one point mentioned, you know, it is entirely possible that Karn is right and there might be sleeper agents just because we haven't seen Phyrexians doesn't mean they're not here pre Teferi kind of telling everybody that they exist. Um, This guy stands like, hey, we should all get out of here and go to this watchtower, essentially. And so they planes walk away. Or actually, I think he opens a portal, right? Joda opens a portal. Yeah, Joda does some some kind of portal nonsense. Before they all jump through this portal, Johnny runs off after some Phyrexians who've stolen Aaron Capuchin. They like yeah. take him and just run away, and Johnny chases after them. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. What could <laughs> it's happen? It's a Johnny. Yeah, Joda opens a portal. They all jump through the portal into uh, this tower, but and Jaya just kind of like burns the whole room to the ground that they were just in. But before the portal closes, a Phyrexian of some kind slips through the portal and is now lost and loose through this tower. And in order to kind of prevent anybody from, uh, or, or in order to prevent the Phyrexian from getting out into the town and, you know, spreading Phyrexian nonsense, they lock the tower down. And that's where we get the card temporary lockdown. And Karn gets this idea of like, well, there's a Phyrexian loose in the tower. We know sleeper agents exist. Let's try to pull some trickery. And, you know, in Karn's own way, he's like, I'm really upset that I have to lie to my friends. But he tells them all that he's hidden the Silex in a different location. And all of them are lies. Mm -hmm. Pretty clever. Uh, Pretty nice Among Us strategy. (laughs) Just kind of seeding misinformation to see who squeals. Um, And it turns out our our one uh, new character, Sten, uh, kind of atomorphs into an antenna <laughs> as soon as Karn tells him the location. Uh, the, the description, oh, and just everything about the Phyrexians in this writing, super gnarly. Uh, they, they, they spared no grisly details this time around. He like splits open and turns into a radio antenna, which as a physicist, I have a few questions about. <laughs> <laughs> um, where exactly are the Phyrexians and where is everyone in the multiverse on radio technology? He turns into an antenna to like, quote unquote, relay the information back to Shieldred. Do they understand frequencies? Like, yeah, Also, do, it's just like, why could they not? Why did he have to physically turn himself into an antenna? Like, couldn't he have just relayed the information anyway? I mean, yeah, the fact that he had to physically turn himself into an antenna implies that they have like cracked molecular structure and, and that they are not even that, that they understand the photon model. And I don't know. I, I really doubt like, I don't know. I, I guess I want to see some. <laughs> I want to check in with the with the, the researchers in the science department over at the uh, Tularian Community College <laughs> and see what's going on there. But that also begs the question, why did that bird not turn into an antenna? Like that bird could clearly relay information back to Shieldred without an antenna. That's true. I guess I couldn't Sten just do that. I don't know. The the bird was going to fly there. Meanwhile, Sten had to pull off some photoelectric effect nonsense. (laughs) I don't don't know. Um, The the antenna bit got me that that's it's campy, though. So I guess I'll allow it. Right. So meanwhile, uh, the heroes kind of realize like, well, Sten is the one who recommended we came to this tower in the first place, which probably is really bad for us given that he's a Phyrexian. So they get some help coming in from the Weatherlight and, or is it the Argosi at this point? Might have been I the Argosi. Track I, think it's, I don't know. I think it's the Weatherlight. The Weatherlight comes and picks them up. Uh, they, they kind of get off to safety while they assume the rest of this town is just like 
Phyrexianized or completed as it were. Yeah. Um, they start trying to recruit, recruit other allies from various areas because clearly, okay, the Phyrexians are back. Children's back. This was like a massive war in the past. We need to ally with other regions of Dominaria and make sure that we actually can stop these folks before they accomplish whatever plan children has for Dominaria. So we've got dragons, we've got elves, we've got a bunch of big trees. We've got, uh, well, the mana rig. And, and if you know what that is, you probably qualify for senior discounts because <laughs> that's a card that really, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's referenced since the beginning of magic. And I think they finally made a card for it in one of the new commander sets. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's in, uh, I think the Dominator United commander set. So anyway, it kind of devolves into this whole big battle where children confronts our, our heroes, uh, Kind of amid this fight, uh, the matter rig is firing all cylinders. There's dragons floating around and fighting the now completed weatherlight, which uh, that that's unfortunate. So I don't know how they're going to get the weatherlight back after this one. Uh, anyway, there's this big climactic scene on the bridge uh, on kind of like the, the main deck of the matter rig. Shieldra kind of slithers up. Uh, her body is large, but her little head thing is small, I guess. So anyway, they're hanging out there. And uh, just when things look like they're going pretty well, there's some trickery with uh, the Silex and Karn ends up bringing it out. And the moment he does, Shildred pulls a Winter Soldier with a Johnny, except instead of going a uh, longing, rusted 17 daybreak, uh, she just goes, hey, Johnny, I need you to kill Jaya and smash the soup bowl, which he does <laughs> immediately. Yeah, he plunges an axe into Jaya's back, pushes her off the tower or off the mana rig, smashes the soup bowl, as it were. And <laughs> it's kind of interesting because like up to that point, Johnny was helping them fight the Phyrexians. It's not like oh, he yeah, was just fully. like off in the, you know, behind the scenes, trying not to actually interact with anything and, and just kind of taking a back seat until Shieldred's like, all right, now, uh, he was like seemingly unaware of the fact that he was completed. He, yeah, she said told like, him, yeah. Like his last moments were him being like terrified and stunned at the fact that, Oh crap, I'm, I'm completed. Which sucks for, for a Johnny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> poor guy. Um, but anyway, I, I guess Shildred knew that they would need a powerful planeswalker to actually, you know, be able to like take Jaya and, and Karn if needed, uh, which Ajani is up there. Even Karn throughout the stories mentions like, geez, Ajani is like shredded. <laughs> like, <laughs> or Ajani is like, has these like super sensitive ears. He can like hear the conversation for like a mile away or, or like, oh, he, look at him cleaving through these rocks or whatever. Um Anyway, the, the mana rig gets mana rigged to explode. And then uh, while the heroes kind of win the day in the end, Shildred uh, manages to get away with a Johnny and Karn, um, who is brought before Elish Norn. And Karn has some interesting relationships with these Praetors because they all kind of see him as a father figure, as, as, um, as weird as that is. Uh, just a very, very disappointed dad. Yeah, and so the very like end of the main story, we see Karn brought before Elish Norn, and he sees like this tree growing out of white sand or whatever, and he's like, "What's that?" And Children's like, or sorry, Elish Norn is like the beginning of everything, and that's kind of where things end. What? Yikes! Um, <laughs> what? Hmm. Are are they like trying to become organic or something? I don't. I have a feeling I know where this goes, although I did also look into some of those leaks that happened a while back about like the magic art book. And I think I see where this tree thing is growing um, without spoiling anything too big, just from something you can glean from the story as is. There was another tree recently involved uh, in magic story that the Frexians were interested in. Sure was. I'll leave that to the listener to uh, sift through and figure out. Mm-hmm. There were some pretty cool side stories. I will say 
uh, and this is kind of starting to segue into some of the other stuff. One of the characters that didn't show up at all in the main story, but was obviously very uh, cool for players to see was Liliana. Mm. You know, we got a reprint of Liliana the Veil in this set, but she doesn't show up in the main story at all. She has this little like side story with the Raven Man um, where she like briefly comes to Dominaria, but she doesn't really play a role in the main story. Yeah, we end up finding out that the Raven Man is Lim Duel the Necromancer. We probably should have put a spoiler warning on this, but if people are listening to this section, they know what they're in for. Um, And another little thing, Squee is no longer unkillable as of the end of his story. So uh, the squeeze story is pretty funny. Um, he has this, I, I, I guess, I don't know much about his background, but I guess he has like kind of two curses on him at once. One that like keeps his soul trapped for eternity in his body. And then that, that keeps his body returning over and over again. So uh, he, he is, you can't exile him and you can't kill him. Basically <laughs> like the flavor plays out pretty well. Um, but then he ends up going through some things with some Phyrexians and seems like he might just have one more shot at life. So who knows? Uh, I guess we'll see where Squee goes. All right. So first up, we're, we're going to highlight some cards that we found really interesting in the set from a, either a flavor perspective or the way they played out in the format or art or whatever. But before we do dishonorable mentions, we always do this. We only have one this this uh, this set, and it's a pretty big one, in my opinion. The Golden Argosi. I I don't get this card because it like doesn't work with the the story of what the thing is. I mean the main the main issue is that it doesn't have flying. That's the only reason. Clearly, it. <laughs> it's clearly like in the art. It clearly is flying in the story. It clearly flies. Yeah. Don't know yeah. why they didn't give this flying. I mean, I it it just seems so straightforward. Like the weather, like obviously has flying as well. This one doesn't have to like stay near the surface of the water either. Just like it shows in the art, this thing can just go anywhere, which a little curious about how these flying ships work. These feel like they might be from a different era as well. Um, again, can't be, I'll allow it, but this thing has flying. Oh, and speaking of different era, one thing I didn't mention in the, the other story section, that's pretty important is now once, once a Johnny takes Karn away, right? The rest of the heroes are kind of like, all right, well, we need to figure out a way to deal with these Praetors before they can do whatever it is they're trying to do, which heroes really still don't have a full understanding of what the the Praetors are trying to do. Yeah. And Teferi says the one thing that he said he would never do, I'm going to go back in time and figure out how they used the Silex thing because Ajani destroyed the Silex, but at the end of the story, Sahili kind of planes walks in and she's like, hey, I can remake that based on Karn's Mm. notes, but we don't know how to activate it which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because it's like if she's re- rebuilding it, shouldn't she know how to turn the thing on? Anyway. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Teferi's like, okay, I'm going to go back in time to the Brothers War when this thing was last used and figure out how to use it from there. So we're going to get into some time loopy shenanigans, I'm sure, in the next Honestly, set. I'm I'm 100% ready for this thing to go full endgame nonsense time travel. I, I love a good time travel story. Uh just as much as I love poking holes in a good time travel story. So I, I'm excited to see some time travel nonsense. Yeah, I, I am calling it now 100%. Everything's going to seem fine in the Brothers War. Teferi's going to mess with something accidentally, not realize he messed with it. And then he's going to come back to the present and everything's going to be completely different. <laughs> mm-hmm. One thing I would hate is if it somehow changed things to like bring back certain characters. Um, like that would make suck. Jaya's death meaningless or something. That, that kind of thing I'm never a big fan of. Um, Speaking of things I'm not a big fan of, there's not a ton of what I would call super flavorful cards in the set, which we tend to gravitate towards like fun top-down designs or things that are really evocative of something. Um, This is more like a respectful set, I would say. I I think Kamigawa was similar, uh, where it's almost paying more 
homage to the history of the plane. It, it takes itself a little more seriously than something like Midnight Hunt, which is, you know, just Halloween nonsense. Uh, so this one, it has some cool stuff in it, but um, just, I guess, less so and more f- uh, more focused on function than, than flavor. Yeah, not a whole lot of like clever top down designs, not a whole lot of um, I don't want to say not a whole lot of interesting stuff because the cards are interesting and they we've we've talked about this before in the set where they feel very new while also not fearing mm-hmm. ver- feeling very complicated or like difficult to deal with. So, yeah, I mean, take that as you will, but there isn't a ton that like really speaks to the flavor. Even the story spotlight cards often don't really have anything to do with the story in this. set. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're just going to read through a few of our, our favorites because there are still plenty of great flavorful things in the set. My first one up is The Love Song of Night and Day. So this is the two and a white saga. It is read ahead. Chapter one, you and target opponent each draw two. Chapter two, create a one one white bird. And chapter three, put a one one counter on each of the two target creatures. So this is actually a reference to some pretty old flavor text. And I actually have an article up here on Magic uh, uh, magicwizards.com uh, but it's just like the the actual love song of night and day this is from 2003 uh i was too young to really read the text of most magic cards when this was put out <laughs> but um ba- basically it, it's an actual poem uh that kind of flows into the history of dominaria and uh you can actually look it up it is a full real poem and it's kind of this back and forth between two lovers and it's honestly pretty beautiful uh and the love song of night and day uh, the art really encapsulates it, even if the, well, I guess the the mechanics itself do, because it makes you and an opponent draw two cards, night and day being as opposites. Uh, just talking about gameplay mechanic-wise, uh, I, I'm just going to come out and say it now. If you skip chapter one, you're a coward. <laughs> <laughs> if you skip chapter one, you're missing out, especially with the white decks in this set. They really can just, you know, go wider than your opponent can deal with. Uh but they do suffer from sometimes they run out of gas and sometimes they need to top deck that pump spell or that five mana removal spell that they need to bust through for the last bit of damage. Uh, this does it. And I tend to find decks where I've had a deck with two or three love songs and they're awesome, especially when you do chapter one. Highly recommend playing this card. Hmm. I am not as high on it as you, but I also don't play aggro the way you do. And clearly you're, you're bringing up wins with it. So you know what you sound like? A coward. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a card for a control deck. You don't want this in your domain decks. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty great in, in white aggro. Speaking of cowards, I guess uh, one of my favorite arts in the set and also just a phenomenally executed card in the format is Stall for Time. It's just mm. got, I don't know, something about the icy art style with like the silvers and the blues and the whites really gets me. I, I really like the way that looks. Um, but also I kind of wanted to use this as a as a soapbox i guess for the kicker cards in this set mm. is such a refreshing take on kicker to have them be off colored kicker costs oh totally it's like such a minor thing mechanically to change i mean it, it greatly impacts the way that they get included in decks but it made the whole mechanic feel very different made me think about the way that i'm including these cards much differently and i was a big fan of the stun counters too i think that was a, a well executed mechanic for this set as well yeah, stun counters are pretty low impact. It's almost like you barely notice the change. And on Arena, you literally don't notice the change, right? Um, but it, it's pretty nice for paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, it's a nice, like, refreshing update, I guess I would call it, to something like Detain, which is an old mechanic that also locks down abilities. So they're, they're not entirely apples to apples. But it's it's a nice little, like, way to clearly identify that hey, your thing is tapped for more than a turn. So my next card up here, it's a pair of cards, kind of a triad of cards. Timely Interference, 
uh, and Hammerhand, particularly because timely interference actually appears to follow, I believe in the side story, this dude's name is Ulf, uh, previously seen on Frantic Search in the most recent iterations of it. This student at the Teleria, Teleria West, who's in the Frantic Search art, frantically searching for something, I guess a particular book. But then we see on Timely Interference, uh, our, our hero here has found the book he was looking for, but then is getting chased down by some kind of Frexy monstrosity. Seems to be uh, protected by a friend, looks like a Viachino. And in Hammerhand, we see the continuation of the story where uh, looks like the Viachino wins this battle. I, I like this, uh, this kind of sequencing in arts, especially from uh, continuations of previous sets. That That's cool. I like that kind of world building. I agree. I think that's one of the best things magic does especially when they're so subtle on cards like commons like this where like nobody's really looking twice at these cards sure timely interference is a great card and limited you know a lot of people are playing it as one drop in their in their decks but these are just such subtle little ways to make commons much more interesting and really makes the set feel like something that was built cohesively together with a story behind it in a mm-hmm. way that i think especially in this set in particular the story spotlights kind of fell flat on yeah it's nice to see the draft chaff get some love uh, although hammerhand is that's some chaff right there. <laughs> so next up for me was Herloon Battle Hymn. Uh, this one I picked purely for the art. I'm a big fan of these like pseudo symmetrical art styles. Um, it also kind of harkens back a little bit to uh, the art. And it might actually be the same artist. I didn't check uh, to to the Mystical Archive Lightning Bolt art. They look hmm. the background on Herloon Battle Hymn looks relatively similar, but also I mean, I love a build your own lightning helix. Come on. Oh, yeah. This card's sick. Uh, that artist, I think it's Dominic Meyer. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of their work, too. I, I've seen other stuff um, that that kind of symmetrical, uh, which I, I actually really love in my next card, Wiley Beckert. Uh, this is one of my favorite arts in the set and on Prayer of Binding. Um, ever since her soul shatter back in, um, in ZNR, I have kept an eye on, on Wiley Beckert. In every set, there's usually one or two very impressive pieces from her. Yeah, I totally agree. Speaking of amazing art, uh, I have to throw a shout out to the stained glass alt arts, particularly mm. King Darian, but also just because King Darian was a phenomenal card in the format. One of oh, those yeah. cards that like you, that's, you know, this didn't feel to me like too much of a, a princey format. You know, there weren't a ton of super, super impactful rares. There were some good ones, but like King Darian's one of them. King Darian feels <laughs> yeah. like you see this on three and you're just like, I don't know how I win this game. <laughs> like, like I need removal now or I lose. Um, and just a very cool kind of design for this card. I think it does a lot of stuff without feeling too complex and that's really awesome. But yeah, those stained glass arts are incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can brag and say that I had the privilege of curving Baird, the Argivian recruiter into King Darien. King Darien pumped Baird, Baird made a one, one, which became a two, two. And then you just keep going from there. Just a free two, two every turn, you know, no big deal. Yeah, it's also nice that he's like this army in a can that just builds up and then eventually somebody tries to board wife and you're like, nah, I'm just sack Darian and kill you. <laughs> yep. Uh, my last card here, probably my favorite. Like we said, there's not too many functional flavor cards here. So this is a bit of a light flavor town, to be honest. But I love Sarah Paragon. Probably my favorite card out of this set. Um, definitely oh looking boy, to pick up a copy angel. or two. Surprise, for- surprise. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a sucker for a good angel. And this this one's sick. And also it has great mechanical ability too. I mean, getting a three drop back from uh, from the graveyard each turn. And then I like, I actually really like this kind of additional text. That gain two life uh, and exile the thing instead. She's clearly calling back this soldier for one last fight. And then when they're done, they head off to Sarah's realm, I guess, or uh, with some nice life gain there uh, to, to go with it. Um, I, I really have to... 
I mean, I, I love playing this card in limited in the set. The coolest thing I got to do, uh, it does require nine mana, but I was I was basically dead on board to my opponent. Uh, but I top deck Sarah Paragon in a red white aggro deck. I have a Keldon strike team in my graveyard uh, and you can actually kick it. So I, I cast Sarah Paragon. I kick Keldon strike team. It gives Sarah Paragon haste and I swing for lethal on the spot. Oh God, that's disgusting. It was brutal. And this is during the, uh, the open too. <laughs> Sarah Paragon is probably the card in the set where I'm like, I see that and I don't have removal in my hand. I just scoop like yep. it's such a good card. Yep. My last card was Ellis Ilcor. This is one that just feels so satisfying in one card. It didn't actually, I mean, it's a good card in this format. It's not as good as it could be in other formats, but two mana two two with just the beautiful symmetry of the drain effects going on. Uh, absolutely, my cup of tea. So before we bounce today, we just wanted to share some thoughts on Unfinity. It was honestly a great time. Uh, one of the more stressful parts of the night actually happened before we even touched any Magic cards. Do you, do you want to recount that tale? Sure. So the plan was we had a 7 p.m. start time for the draft. The plan was we were going to get to a restaurant that's literally right next to the st- the, the local game store at 530, eat some dinner. Like it gives us an hour and a half to order, get our dinner, get out of there and walk next door. Both of us hit terrible traffic. And somehow I ended up getting there before Ben, even though he lives much closer. And whoops, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever. <laughs> no um, comment. <laughs> but we ordered and then like our waiter took a quite a lot of time to get us our food and drink. Do you remember what stuff. I said? I, I said when we got there, I was like, unless it takes 45 minutes for burgers to come out, I think we're fine. <laughs> and it took about that. I mean, we, we didn't. Uh, and at one point we were even like, Hey, we're like in a big rush. We've got to leave in like 15 minutes. Can, can we like, you know, sorry to spring this on you, but can you do something to speed this up? Cause we, we gotta go. Can we get boxes already? Like before our food even got there. Um, and, uh, so basically that's what happened. Our food arrived. We scarfed down a couple of fries, put everything in a box left, and then, uh, did our draft and ate during deck building. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't forget the part where I ran over from the restaurant to the game store, asked how much time we had. They told me about five minutes before the draft. I mean, this was a, a big release event. This was the Unfinity yeah. release party. I mean, there were like three pods about to fire. We're not going to hold up all those people. So they were like, you got five minutes. So I run back over to the restaurant, which is again, like 30 seconds worth of running. Uh, and uh, just as I got there, our food got there. So the timing did work out. We did get to do some things anyway. We got to eat. Um, got to hang out with some some folks that we know who you heard some on the show last week, right? Um and honestly, just the actual playing it out. Attractions, really fun, really funny. The set is great. Um, I'm probably going to make a Mira Uncommander deck just because I, I really enjoyed attractions so much. And she's just a, a bonkers attractions payoff. I'm going to try to make it only Uncards or as many Uncards as I can get. I did open a Mira. I, I drafted a Mira in that draft. So if you need a copy, I, I've got you. Ooh, I might have to take you up on that. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it was it was really fun. My deck was really meh. I like had no idea what I was playing, and then ended up just taking like colors cards in the same color and and hoping that it worked out. And it kind of did. It was okay. I did end up drafting uh, the Carnival of Legends or whatever that that attraction that like lets you name legendaries and do things with them. Yeah, um, which was a little more hassle than I was ready for. But <laughs> so many of the cards end up being more like hassle than they're worth. The dice stacking one that gives you squirrels Stickers. basically impossible. Stickers were just not, they were not a hit. I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there. Maybe controversial. I didn't like the stickers. Yeah. They were fun for about the first 30 seconds. And then after that, I was like, wait, I need to take these off every game and I need to like take time to take them 
put them on cards every game and uh, yeah, and they're much. like designed that you can take them on and put them off so they're not actually that sticky so they're like falling off each other but they yep. stick to themselves i was hoping that i would have good quality stickers that i could just stick on my computer or laptop or something but i don't think these stickers will actually stick i honestly would have just rather them be token like counters like they used to do for yeah. like the punch out counters um but otherwise it was really fun hats did matter there were tons of people there were two people in in the the night who drafted the um exit through the grift shop so we had we had betting wars going on and a bunch of people were bidding ridiculous life we even had like a few few people ben included uh bet like almost their entire life total to their (laughs) own opponents bet (laughs) i actually won one of the bets because i bet basically my whole life total i was at like above 20 and i bet myself down to six to get a a kill spell for my opponent so I, i basically paid like 15, I think I, I paid 14 life uh, to end up like dealing like four damage to one of their creatures. It, it was pretty sick. Yeah, that I mean, that that was pretty much it. The highlights uh, were the the shenanigans in the beginning and then uh, actually getting to play. Oh, also, Ben and I got paired on the first round, so the, it hasn't happened in a while. And it was, you know, no better set than this for us to do that. It was it was honestly the ideal time. And we got to play with other friends th- throughout the night, which is cool. Um, one of my highlights, I had Carnival Barker, the uh, the little dog where um, you have to tap it and then you have to laud a creature you control, which basically just means you have to get as many people to agree and be like, yeah, that is a good creature. And it's the one where however many people clap for your speech, it gets plus X plus O. And I mean, you saw I got the whole floor clapping and I counted 14 people at least, but there were probably more. And I did kill my opponent on the spot with it. It, it was sick. To be fair, Ben Ben actually stood up and he has a very loud voice when he wants to. So, you know, yeah. he was able to reach the whole room. It um, is kind of my job to be a public speaker in order. So that kind of thing. My heart was was beaten, I'll admit. But uh, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, but I, the thing was like you ended your speech with if you if you clap for me, I'll stop talking and every <laughs> the whole room just like started, started clapping. Uh, so you did a good job with that one. I mean, that was that was well, well thought out. Yeah, I won the game, right? And the next day I played some Unfinity with just with some friends and uh, I got myself two shocks out of it. So honestly, just I guess I made back some of the value. Uh, just a good time. This is the kind of thing you want to do exactly once. And uh, I did it, I guess, once and a half. And honestly, I'm, I'm set. It was a good time. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, check out the Discord if you're not already in it. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to everybody who's supporting us there. It keeps us doing this every week. And hopefully you guys all got to enjoy some Unfinity this week. If not, give it a go. I think it's uh, it's worth going once or twice. Just a quick little sign off here. Um, our next episode, it's going to be a little bit bare uh, bare bones uh i I guess you could say it's it's gonna kind of be like a almost like a frankenstein's monster of an episode kind of stitched together from different things um you don't want to ghost us on on the next episode that's all and who knows there may be treats there may be some tricks (laughs) there there will be some of both